Hello everyone, I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own, and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading! Ahoy! Hello! Welcome along! It's the part of the week where we travel all around the universe, keeping our ears, eyes and minds open to learn some of the secrets of science. This is the Fun Kids Science Weekly. My name is Dan. Thank you so much for being there, for going on this this journey with me, this adventure all around the solar system, discovering those science secrets lurking within. This week, we'll hear more about the science of Christmas, just a few weeks away. We'll learn how Santa's sleigh gets to fly. Simple physics dictates that a good flying sleigh is going to need some wings if you want to visit all the children of the world in one night. Not that sort of wings. Also, we're speaking to an absolute legend on the show today. So excited to get him on for you. So Tony Robinson is one of the country's most famous actors. He presented a show called Time Team as well, travelling all around the world, digging into the ground to solve mysteries of the past. And he's been thinking about climate change. But they all seem to be different things. And then gradually, over the years, they all sort of glued themselves together and they became this one thing called, I suppose, global warming. There is all that and loads more with a brand new Fun Kids Science Weekly. Let's start things off with your science in the news. Brilliant news to get us going. NASA's Orion capsule has splashed down after a 26-day mission around the moon. It went over a million miles. The capsule had a fiery re-entry through the Earth's atmosphere before splashing down into the Pacific Ocean. Now, this was a test flight with no people on board. It just went up there to almost scan the lunar surface to see good places that we might go in the future. Now, that will change next time because NASA is planning to send it up again in 2024 with astronauts in it before they try and officially send humans back to the moon. I love the fact that we're doing this again. If we want to explore more of space, we can't really do it in one go. So we need to have almost a service station on the moon. And it's brilliant that we're starting to do that, I think. Also, the James Webb Space Telescope has spotted the most distant galaxy we've ever found. We've spoken so much about the James Webb Space Telescope. It's this massive thing in the sky with a mirror on it the size of a football pitch. with uh, And it manages to reflect back lights, some of the oldest lights in the universe to take pictures so we can study what has been before. Now, the galaxy it's found is called Jade's GSZ-13-0. Catchy name. It's taken pictures of the galaxy as it was 325 million years after the Big Bang. Now, that sounds quite a long time ago, but the Big Bang was 13.8 billion years ago. Uh, So it's incredibly old. It's fantastic that we're finding these galaxies from way back, some of the most ancient forms of stars in our universe. The telescope has been brilliant in helping us see the early days of the universe. And finally, one of Central America's most active volcanoes has erupted again. The Fuego volcano is in Guatemala, uh, under Mexico. It exploded a huge plume of ash and smoke to the air. Now, it lasted this in June 2018. It caused destruction. 
experts hope that it's not as bad as last time, and so do we. Let's catch up with Curious Kate then on the show for the last ooh, six weeks. We've been hearing from Kate, uh, learning all about energy and what powers our homes, our cities, the world around us. Because Kate is a genius and she's always asking the questions that we want to know, the big questions about how big things work. This time, Kate explores how we keep the house warm and how to do it efficiently, which is something we really need to hear right now. Curious Kate, in association with British Gas Generation Green. Tom! Tom! Where's that brother of mine? It's freezing in this house and I need him to turn the heating on. I'm up in my room! What do you want? Are you a polar bear or something? It's really cold. Can you put the heat in on, please? Put a jumper on, then. You'll feel warmer and you'll be helping to save the environment. Really? I don't want to hurt the environment. I'm just cold. I'll put a jumper on now. How will turning on the heating hurt? Because 80% of all the energy we use goes on heating our homes. So if we try and cut back, we can help save the planet and some money too. But we're going to have to heat the house at some point. Isn't there anything else we can do? Yeah, just like putting on a jumper helps you stay warm, making sure your home is well wrapped up. Or, for a more fancy word, insulated, will help too. It's all down to a bit of physics. <clears throat> heat always travels from hot to cold. So when we heat our houses, heat always tries to escape through uninsulated areas to the cooler temperature outside. And this normally means through the roof, doors, windows and floors. I never knew that. But what's insu... insu... Insulation? Insulation. There's quite a lot of different types of insulation. But generally, insulation is a material that's used to reduce the rate at which heat is lost. If you remember, Mum often puts a tea cosy on her teapot. This slows down the loss of heat from the tea inside. Oh, so when I'm putting on a jumper, I'm insulating myself and keeping the heat from escaping my body? You got it! Animals do it all the time. That's why sheep grow big, thick, woolly coats in the winter, to insulate themselves. And those sheep make my itchy jumper that Cran got me for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> it does keep me really warm, though, even if it is scratchy. But how do we insulate our home? We can't use sheep's wool for everything. Well, you can use wool as insulation. Most people use materials such as polystyrene, fibreglass and foam in their walls and lofts. And by fitting double glazing and carpets, we can reduce heat loss through windows and floors. There are some really small changes we can make straight away to help insulate our doors. Like what? I tell you what, I'll show you. You see this squishy foam strip around the door frame? This helps eliminate any small gaps when the door shuts, whilst these brushes at the bottom of the door also help to stop any drafts. There's some really cool new ideas to keep our homes warm in winter and cool in summer. Remember the other day we saw that building with plants on its roof? Oh, yeah! That was cool. That was actually a green roof where they've planted grass and small plants. As well as providing insulation, that roof uses surplus rainwater and the plants produce oxygen that help clean the air. That's good for the environment. And scientists are developing something called a phase-changing material, which is a gel put into the wall of a house that can trap heat during the summer and release it back during the winter. Cool. I love all the scientific bits. Hey, are you wearing my jumper? 
I never said you could wear that to keep yourself warm. What's that, Tom? Sorry, it was too hot in your room, so I'm going downstairs. Uh, my gran knitted that for me. Sorry, I can't hear you. Curious Kate, in association with British Gas Generation Green. How curious are you? Test your curiosity at www.generationgreen.co.uk forward slash curiosity. We'll have more from Curious Kate next time on the podcast. Right now, it's time to do your questions. If you have any science question that you want answered on this show, leave it as a review for us on Apple Podcasts or send it as a voice note to us on the free Fun Kids app or at funkidslive.com. Here's one from Finn who wants to know, how many people are there in the world and how do they count them? Well, current world population trackers say there are over 8 billion people in the world. Just over. Now, they can't count every single one. That would be a lot of hard work, a lot of form filling. So they make an educated guess based on a few sources. They use censuses from all around the world. These are things that the government does every few years all around different countries, where if you live there, you have to fill out a form saying how old you are, what you do, who you live with. And scientists use that. And also they see how many people die on a normal day in a country and how many people are born in a normal day on a country. And they do all that to come up with the sums with a good estimate on how many people are alive. And right now, they say that there are just over 8 billion people. Thank you for the question, Finn. Right now, here's a question from Andre. Hi, my name is Andre, and I would like to ask, does a shark have sharper teeth than a crocodile? Probably, yes. But it's hard to absolutely define. What is sharpness? A croc's teeth are more coned at the top. They've got some sharp ridges too. The teeth are used for crushing, for squeezing down. A crocodile will often swallow prey whole, so it doesn't really need to properly slice through its food. But a great white shark's teeth has jagged edges. They're serrated, which means they can cut like a knife, so it can chew down its prey into chunks. A croc has about 70 teeth. Great white sharks have up to 300 teeth and they press down with huge pressure. 4,000 PSI. Now that's a measurement of force and it's a huge measurement of force at that. So, Andre, yes, uh, a shark probably does have sharper teeth than a crocodile. Thank you very much for the question. If you've got something you want answered on the show, best thing to do is to leave it as a voice note for me on the free Fun Kids app. Just record it onto your phone, send it there and you can upload it to funkidslive.com. Let's get to it with this week's Dangerous Dan then. Every week we search the globe, the solar system, the entire universe to look at some of the most mean and deadly things around. This week we're headed into the waters around Asia to take a look at a -a one-of-a-kind snake. The tentacled snake can grow to about one metre long. It's a green and brown menacing colour with sharp fangs that can spike through deadly venom. Now, it spends a lot of time underwater in the rivers and lakes around Thailand, Cambodia and Vietnam. As it's a reptile, though, it doesn't have gills, so it can't breathe underwater. It needs to hold its breath for sometimes a whopping 30 minutes. Now, what makes it stand out and gives it its name are the two short tentacles that poke out of its head. They look evil like horns. Now, they help them feel movements in the water judging slight currents and waves that mean a fish is nearby. 
And when it spots one, it lies in wait, locking their tail into the riverbed as an anchor and then striking. Now, it only eats fish, but it's a beast at attacking and it feasts lots. And it's these amazing tentacles that help it out. They give it its name, that make it so deadly, which means it goes straight onto our Dangerous Dan list. Hello, everyone. I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading. It's the Fun Kids Science Weekly. Now, we talk a lot about climate change on the show. But how much do you really think about it? And and should you think about it more? Should we talk about it more? We'll find out with someone who has travelled all over the world, studying the planet in documentaries, famously in the legendary show Time Team. He was in Blackadder 2 and he's on with us. So, Tony Robinson, thank you for being there. Not at all. Nice to talk to you. Uh, Tony, when do you remember their first being mention of climate change. When were you first aware of it? Oh, just ages and ages and ages ago, probably before the oldest person other than me in the world can remember. But in in the old days, you just sort of like one thing at a time, like crops might fail or there might not be enough water about or it might get so hot that we all get burned to a crisp. But they all seem to be different things. And then gradually over the years, they all sort of glued themselves together and they became this one thing called, I suppose, global warming, which we're all aware of now and probably do you know what is it probably only about six months ago when we had a terrible flood in my part of west london and all the water came through the manhole covers and the drains and all the toilets spewed with sewage it was disgusting and and no one's basement could be lived in anymore i suddenly thought this thing called uh global warming this isn't about just about people on the other side of the world this is about me uh, so i'm really upset about it now and um, we're facing very strange times right back when you were talking about the flooding in in west london yeah. we had a, a scorchingly hot summer we're having a very warm november as well looking into an extremely mild christmas you, you were talking about the changes there yeah when do you remember there first being like a real effort to let's try and do something about this I think, again, that happened really gradually, didn't it? I mean, in a way, the big thing for me was last year when all the heads of government from all over the world came to Glasgow in Scotland and said, look, this is so important that really important people like me ought to take notice of it and make promises to the people of the world. The reason why we're having to have another meeting a year later is because they didn't keep those promises. But nevertheless, it's only really, I think, been in the last year, year and a half that everybody has been aware how incredibly important global warming is. I think we made a mistake in that we used to talk about climate change. Climate change seems something really quite cute. Climate is like what we get when we go on holiday and we get a nice tan. Change is something that happens really slowly. Well, it wasn't that. It's about climate being burnt to a crisp and it's about change happening really, really fast. So uh, we might have done better choosing different words, I think. Now, a lot of the listeners to this show uh, are still at school. And since the work of Greta Thunberg, young people are very, very active and very thoughtful about 
how the world might change for them in 10, 20, 30 years time. And it seems to be some older people can get really annoyed by that. Um, what, what do you think about younger people being quite passionate? Oh, man, they get so annoyed with Greta. I, I, I did uh, an interview with Greta on The One Show uh, uh, last week. And uh, at the same time, a couple of other presenters, um, Jeremy Vine, John Bishop, they did interviews with her as well. And we all got, got like really disgusting stuff back to us, really angry stuff on on Twitter and, and Insta and, and places, like totally inappropriate, really horrible. And you know what it is? It's because people are scared. They're really terrified. And I think the one thing that, that I'm concerned about is that, is that we don't go, oh, climate change is really, really awful. So what I'm going to do is hide in the corner and suck my thumb and not worry about it because it will all go away. That's useless, isn't it? I think what we've got to do, you know, even when things are at their darkest, we can still tell jokes, we can still be positive, we can still all work together, we can still solve the worst excesses of climate change and make it not so bad for an awful lot of people. There's so much that we can do and do it together. And actually, this this uh, computer game that I'm involved with called Floodland, right, so that's about the fact that there's this island and it's after... Uh, the whole world is flooded. So there's only a few people left on this island and they haven't got any new clothes or anything. How do they make clothes? Well, plastic comes floating up as it always does in oceans nowadays, lands on the beach, they chop it up into pieces and they look so good. They look so fantastic. They look so cool. So you've got this computer game, which normally that kind of computer game, the only colours you see are Viking browns and greys, aren't they? In this computer game, everybody looks fantastic. And I think that's a really good start when you're talking about climate change. Talk about climate change, but make sure you dress really well. (laughs) You're talking about taking action there. You're someone in your career who has travelled all around the world, uh, digging and looking at things that have been dug and also performing. Going forward, how much do you think about your impact on the world personally and and the the choices that you make and how they might not only affect your road in west london but also perhaps people in africa or people in other parts of the 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 planet who um are being quite dreadfully affected by things that we all do like most people particularly most older people i think about it a lot but i don't do nearly as much as i ought to do so i eat less meat i don't eat no meat uh i do much more walking than i used to but i don't walk everywhere i've still got a car but that's partly because um well mainly because there are no charging points in my room no, there, there are 350 uh flats and 14 charging points so you know you can't really blame me can you for still still having a motor um so there you know there um I think like most people nowadays, I do a lot, but on my own, I can't do enough. I actually need governments. I need better recycling. It's all right, you know, if occasionally I buy something like a drink that's made out of plastic and it says recyclable, makes me feel good. But I actually don't know that that means it's going to be recycled. And even if it is recycled, what's going to, well, at least if it's taken away to the recycling, what's going to happen to it next? Uh 
50% of all the plastic recycling last year in the UK was shipped off abroad. Lord alone knows what happened to it after that. Probably just bubbled off into the sea. Oh, it's shocking to think about, isn't it? You're talking about this new game, Floodland. So this is trying to rebuild society following the worst case situation. Uh, Tony, I wonder if, if, you know, if that were to happen and we're living in a very kind of old but new futuristic society, what kind of things would you like to see? What I'd like to see is people working together and people working together for for a long time. And even when they get a bit brassed off with each other, thinking to themselves, actually, what's most important is not how grumpy I feel, but how I can persuade other people to work with me and how I can be nice enough uh, to for other people to to accept me in that situation I think it's more that you know in in bad times in tough times like when we were fighting the world wars what's important is that magic thing called solidarity which means all working together for a greater good that's the one thing I would like to see more than anything else and it's the one thing I, I just don't think we value enough in our society amazing So Tony Robinson, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Just over a week to go until the big day then. Let's find out some of the science secrets of Christmas with Santa Mori, who you might remember we met last week on the show. Uh, We're finding out about all the different types of science that goes into Christmas, how Father Christmas manages to travel all around the world, building presents for everyone, delivering them in one night. It's magic, but what's the science behind that? This week, Santa Mori is back to explain why Santa's sleigh needs some wings to help it get around the world to deliver those presents. Santa Mori's Science of Christmas. Hello, Santa Mori here. You know, the one in charge of all the science and technology here at the North Pole. Now, I've been letting you in on some of Santa's sleigh secrets, but a sleek, light sleigh alone isn't quite enough. Simple physics dictates that a good flying sleigh is going to need some wings if you want to visit all the children of the world in one night. <coughs> Not that sort of wings. More the type you'd see on an aeroplane. A sleigh needs wings because you have to develop lift to get off of the ground, just like a plane. To generate lifts, you need to have more pressure going under than over the wings. We started by having a look at how aerospace companies do it. They design wings that are curved on top and flat on the bottom. That way, air flows faster over the top of the wings and slower underneath. And the faster air flows, the lower the air pressure, and so you get that much desired lift. This is called Bernoulli's theorem and was discovered by a 16th century Swiss mathematician, Daniel Bernoulli. But let's just say someone else a little further to the north might have known about it centuries earlier. With a properly designed sleigh, all we then have to do is generate enough speed to get the lift needed to take off. Airplanes do it with powerful engines. The engines, of course, are very loud and might wake children up as Santa makes his rounds. That's where the reindeer come in, but more about them another time. Oh, and before I go, you might be asking, but where are the wings? You might think you've never seen wings on Santa's sleigh. Well, I'll let you into a little secret. They tuck in just above the runners and only come out at the very last minute. And when we're flying, well, of course, the whole sleigh becomes invisible anyway. But again, that's for another day. Santa Mori's Science of Christmas, with support from the Institute of Physics, the Royal Aeronautical Society and the Institution of Engineering and Technology. Find out more at funkidslive.com slash Christmas. 
We'll be back with more from Santa Mori next week on the show to get you ready for Christmas. Uh, and that's when we'll be back with a brand new episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, you can hear so many brilliant science shows and shows about other subjects as well. We've got loads of podcasts for you on Google, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your shows. They're on the free Fun Kids app at funkidslive.com. Fun Kids, we are a children's radio station from the UK. Listen all around the country on your DAB digital radio and at funkidslive.com. And if you're a Fun Kids Podcast Plus subscriber, you'll get it ad-free and unlock loads more bonus content too. Find out more about Podcasts Plus at funkidslive.com. Hello everyone, I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own, and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading!